welcome to episode two of Stories of Strange Women. We're your hosts. I'm Tanya Hurley. And I'm Tracy Hurley-Martin. And today's guest is Shannon Taggart, who is a photographer. And she just wrote a book, Seance, Spiritual Ritual and the Search for Ectoplasm. And you can go contribute to the publication of the book. And if you, if you do contribute $40, you can get, actually get your name in the book. You can get a copy of the book and get your name in it. So we encourage everyone to do that. And I think after listening to today's interview, you'll, you'll know that it's something you should do. So I would like to apologize because I don't know if this is going to be able to be edited out. But you're going to hear a pattering in the background in today's episode. And it's because I have a, temporarily acquired a rat named Tony Alva. Named after the legendary skateboarder. Um, yeah, Tony was very active during the interview with Shannon. Very so. active, and I think there was some spiritual activity going on yeah. in the parlor because he has not been this active. Well, it's odd because Shannon talked about Michael Jackson and the fact that he had a rat. Shannon has an obsession with Michael Jackson. It's really interesting, so you have to you have to listen to what she has to say. But when she was talking about Ben, Michael Jackson's rat... Tony went nuts. Became very active. Very active. So we're wondering if he's actually, you know, here some in some capacity. But anyway, you know, I just want to give you a heads up. I, I found it, I found it ir- irritating, but Shannon didn't notice it. I think you probably will now that, of course, well, I'm how bringing did you it get to your rat? attention. I got the rat. Um, I had I had a psychiatric appointment, as I do a standing appointment weekly. And um, there was a young lady that had an emergency appointment before me, and she had to be taken to the emergency room. She had a psychotic break, which is very scary and unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And she had brought her rat to the session with her, and she did not trust anybody to take it. She was there with her mother and she didn't trust anyone with a rat but me. So she put it on my neck and said, Tracy, take care of Tony Alva for me. And so I exchanged information with her mom. I took Tony, had a sinus infection. Yeah, I love when you said when she was going out the door, she goes, and Tony has a sinus infection. Yeah, so I picked up some tetracycline for Tony and... um, because when you texted me that you there was a, someone with a psychotic break and you now are the proud owner of a rat or in you have custody of a rat, I thought that it was an hallucination, like a <laughs> rat that you had to pretend was real for this woman. You know, when you're schizophrenic, you sometimes see right. rats, and um, <laughs> that's what I thought the whole time we were texting back and I forth, and I was playing it straight. Because you were. I was r- wondering I was, why you were. You were like, weren't. yeah, the rat has a sinus infection. and I, I was wondering why you weren't rushing over to see him. Yeah, well, you said, when you said he had a sinus infection, I was like, wow, that is so creative. It's so was vivid. Like blown away. <laughs> so anyway. I'm word painting. <laughs> so anyway, well, I thought the woman was like a genius, brilliant. She, she is. Yeah, I mean. I, a young girl, yeah. She's a genius. Well, I hope, we hope she gets well. Yeah. And uh, we hope that Tony's sinus infection clears up. Tony's doing well. Tony's I'm happy doing. to report. Good. Yeah. So we're not going to do much of an intro today because Shannon really got in depth uh, with her topics. Everything from Michael Jackson, like we said, to spear photography and Lilydale and the Fox sisters and feminism and it's jam-packed full of great stories and information. 
You can find Shannon's work at places like CNN, Time, Newsweek. And speaking of photo documentarians, uh, both you and I have been enjoying Melissa Spitz on Instagram, and she is at Nothing to Worry About, if you're interested in following her. She's documenting her mother in photographs, and her mother is mentally ill. She's bipolar, and it's quite devastating, her account. She is always hopeful when she goes home to visit her mother, always excited to see her mother, but then it's, you know, it turns devastating almost always. Yeah, her pictures are very powerful, and I think we, we can definitely relate to them, and she's got a lot of followers, and you should really check her out. That's our strange recommendation, I think, for this week is to follow Melissa. I think everyone will relate to her. And I think everyone knows someone like Mm -hmm. that, that, that's a, that's a disappointment in some way. Yeah, but Um, it's different when it's your mother. Yeah. You know, that's that, that's your safe place. And that's your unconditional love. And when you don't have that, and you're still searching for it and still hopeful every time you go home and don't find it. it's, It's heartbreaking. Yeah. So anyway, check her out. And also, please check out our Instagram and our website, uh, storiesofstrangewomen.com, and join our Facebook page at Stories of Strange Women. And please share your stories with us, your strange stories. We want to hear them. We love to read some of them on the air. And without further ado, here's Shannon Taggart. We are here with our guest, Shannon Taggart, um, who is the author of the book Seance, Spiritualist Ritual, and the Search for Ectoplasm. So you want to tell us about how you're launching this campaign for your book? Um, sure. Uh, I This is a 16-year-long um, project that I've been working on about uh, spiritualism and mediumship. And um, so it's a pre-sale model. So... Um, Everyone uh, who purchases the book in this for this first edition will be listed as a, a donor inside the book. And once I sell a number of copies to get in production, um, it will then be published. Oh, cool. So there's no time frame to when this will end. Like, Kickstarter is like if you don't reach the goal by a certain amount. Yeah, I mean, they, they say four months, and uh, that's my aim. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I launched it, I think, March 1st. Yeah, it's like twenty percent funded already. Yeah, twenty percent funded. So, um, so you have awesome. So if you if you pledge forty dollars, you get the book and you get your name in the book, right? Yes. So yes. that's a really cool incentive. I know I did it. You did, I it. did it. Yes. Um, so can you give people the the website or the address? It's Unbound. If you search um, Shannon Taggart Seance Spiritualist Ritual and the search for ectoplasm. Yeah, and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. But it's um, unbound.com backslash books, Seance Spiritualist. Yeah, so definitely everyone check that out and, and get your name in this book because it's going to be a good one. Yes, and um, if you go to my website, shannontaggart.com, I have an extended edit um, in the in some of the posts on my page, I have some sample layouts. Um, also, as part of the campaign, I have some fun upsells that are you know similar to like a crowdfund model where you could um, get a bent spoon or um, a spiritualist reading or a grave rubbing of the Fox Sisters grave. Um, and there's a few uh, there's a few other um, options, some prints. So wow, th- that's there's that super too. Cool. Yeah, is this, a, is this a new platform? 
Unbound. It's for, it's for books that are that have like a unique audience. They're not going to be bestsellers. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're they're um, smaller runs. Like it more, it gives you more creative control. Yeah, they're um, like more special specialized art books. Yeah, or something yeah, like that. yeah. Art and literature. Yeah, yeah there's um. I love this. I love it, that um, that that your book is on there, and um, I think it's well going to yeah. be a beautiful book based yes. on your photography. Thank you're a, you. You're a photographer. Yes. So, and so it, it's going to be chock full of your. Yes, work. it'll be 350 pages. We estimate full color, but it's it's not only going to be my photographs. There's going to be a lot of historical material and historical photographs. I've. Um, been in touch with a number of archives and um, one thing that's important to me is highlighting this bizarre photographic history that is within spiritualism mm -hmm. you know that's kind of been written out of the photographic history books you know that that's what's one of the aspects that drew me into the project was discovering this absolutely wild absurd photographic history that was contained in spiritualism. So what what are you talking about specifically for our audience members who may not know about spiritualism and the photography, especially the photographic yeah. aspect of it? Yeah, maybe um, we should start there. So spiritualism is an American-born religion uh, based... It's a religion, classified as a religion. Yes, Interesting. yeah. Um, it's based on the belief that we can communicate with spirits of the dead. Um, it started in an area of upstate New York called the Burned Over District, which is like a 20-mile radius where also Mormonism began. There were Shaker communities. There were um, kind of communes or free love um, communal hippie. living yeah. situations, but in, in the 18... Oh, so no hippies. 1800s. Well, this, yeah, it actually predated the <laughs> 60s. But so this small area, it's a very unique moment in time because all of these ecstatic religions sprung up in the in this one spot. I mean, I think where the where spiritualism began is just a short I don't know how many miles like maybe 10 from where uh, Joseph Smith found the mm. located the plates from the Angel Maroni wow. dug up on the, the Why hill, do you think this Kimura. spot was so what was, was a hotbed for you know, I the it, creation of religions. I don't know. It's uh, it's. There's a book, a great book about it called um, Upstate Cauldron by the historian Jocelyn Godwin. It's really fascinating. I mean, nothing. There's been no other explosion like this ever throughout history of these like ecstatic like people speaking to spirits or angels or, you know, I guess I should. Sidebar. I should look up this history more because no, I, I don't want to speak about the history. Is that around where Lilydale is? Well, Lilydale because you're, you have ties to Lilydale, right? Right. Lilydale is the world's largest spiritualist community. I guess I, maybe I should just start there with Lilydale. So, spiritualism began outside of Rochester in 1848. Two young girls, Margaret and Kate Fox said they were in contact with the spirit of a dead peddler who was buried beneath their home. And they started communicating with the spirit with um, knocking raps, like one, you know, one for yes, two for no, or also did the alphabet. And their they got their parents involved, and the neighbors came over, and they had an older sister who took them to Rochester so they could demonstrate these 
acts and a religion was born. It was yeah. accidental. I mean, these are teenagers. And at the time, like their, their system of coded knocking was reminiscent of the telegraph. At the time, there was this correlation between, okay, the telegraph is this electronic disembodied communication. Why can't we contact other realms mm-hmm. with, with the same method, I guess? And so um, that's how the religion began. It was an accident, really. I, um, and the interesting thing about the Fox sisters, they had, you know, then they became very famous. They... Um, yeah, their sister kind of put them out there, Their right? sister put as, them out like, there. Their... They were traveling. It was very glamorous. Everybody wanted to sit in seance with them. And then, you know, things turned. People accused them of fraud. They became alcoholics. They admitted that they were doing fraudulent things. Then they recanted and said that they were bribed to, to do so. The interesting thing about them, there's all this back and forth, but they did actually find the bones of a man under the home. And the people who lived in the home previously did have ghost experiences, too. So it's like mm-hmm. a very, in a nutshell, it's like spiritualism itself. It's like, what's true? What's false? Are they both happening at the same time? Is this fake? Is this real? Like, is this profound? Yeah, that's the fascinating part about yeah. it. Is it fake or is it real? Yeah. And there are some people that really believe that mm-hmm. wholeheartedly that this is a genuine... Yeah, and, that, and I mean, yeah. I guess that's what my... Or that it's not. I guess that's what my book... Which I think is every religion, right? Yeah, I mean, the thing about spiritualism is that it would really set itself up to scientifically prove the religious impulse or scientifically prove the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. Um, When spiritualism came about, this is a time when science was, you know, investigating all, all sorts of invisible forces. You know, germ theory was proved... Radio waves were traveling through the air. The, the disembodied voice on the telephone. Um, all, all of these things, you know, seeing, seeing and photographing vastly into space through telescopes and looking at the minute, um, you know, microbes in microscopes and being able to record them. This was like really kind of, you know, blowing people's minds that there was all this invisible... Stuff, stuff that beyond the senses that was actually real and had efficacy and was at work surrounding mm-hmm. you, and so spiritualism sp- gave that kind of con- gave them a kind of context to look at these things. Yeah, maybe? I mean, spiritualism co- was kind of brought into dialogue with the spiritual realm. Like, oh, you know, why can't we prove that too? So, when you spiritualists describe spiritualism as not only a religion but as a philosophy and a science. Okay. Too. So that's why the true false thing has always been so important to spiritualists. But what I'm trying to do with my work is to just delve head first into the netherland of in between true and false and in that liminal space and mm-hmm. just to create more questions, not answer anything. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but spiritualism was also, I, I mean, it's a religion, but it was also a very important platform for women. Yes. Right. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. I'm, starting with the Fox sisters, and this is a time when women, you know, they couldn't hold jobs, they couldn't speak in public legally, um, but mediums could, as long as they were speaking as spirits. So it gave it. It was a new profession for women that gave them uh, freedom and autonomy, but also the spiritualist movement was deeply tied to the suffragettes who are fighting for women's rights. And that is because spiritualists at their at places like Lilydale, which is 
now the world's largest spiritualist community, but a spiritualist camp, um, they would allow women like Susan B. Anthony to speak publicly on a stage. Yeah, whereas when that was they couldn't illegal. do it. She couldn't do it anywhere else. Yeah, so these are rebels. So it, spiritualism not only gave a voice to the departed, but also the disenfranchised. And it was also pro-abolition, um, uh, pro-marriage reform, health reform, child rights. I mean, it was really progressive. These were radical people. Um, they were scientists, politicians. Some of the most um, respected people of the day were spiritualists. And we're investigating spiritualism. We're interested in it. Um, Madame Curie and Pierre Curie investigated mediums. Uh, Thomas Edison spent the last 10 years of his life trying to create a machine to talk to spirits. Art, it affected art. I mean, the Surrealists most famously were inspired by spiritualist use of the trance state and automation. But now art historians are reassessing the whole history of abstract art and realizing it did not begin with Kandinsky, it began with female mediums like Hilma of Klint and um, Georgiana Houghton, who predate Kandinsky in their abstractions, and they believed that they were guided by spirits, and that's where this art came from. So it's really, I think now spiritualism kind of gets lumped in with everything New Age, and it's unfortunate because it has this really badass intellectual history, it's so layered Cultural and complex. Yes. And important. Yes. Very important. And you're, you know, we asked for a strange lady, a strange woman throwback, but Victoria Woodhall, Woodhall um, who famously yes. ran, was the first yes. female presidential candidate who, who was on the bill with Frederick Douglass, Douglas, who's yes. famously... What year was that? 18... I think it's 1872. Famously yeah. friends with... Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, but I mean, Victoria Woodhull is a great example because I'm just blown away by all that woman did. I mean, this is at a time where women did not have protection from rape. They couldn't, if they were, they couldn't get divorced. And if they got divorced, they didn't have rights to their own children. She, um, she was abused as a child. And that's when her relationship with the spirits began. And she... Her spiritualist beliefs and um, practices, as in, in you know, in her words, led her to live an incredible life. She became a stockbroker, a journalist. She started her own newspaper. She had um, with her sister. Yes, with her sister, <laughs> and um, she had an alcoholic husband and two children, one who was severely disabled, and she took care of them all and then took another man into the home as her lover. She was she was a, um, a proud a believer in free love, which does not just mean sleeping with whoever you want. It means you are free. You have the right to give your love to whoever you wish at whatever time you wish. And that that wow. is your that is your right. She's and got the chills. So yeah, it's she did it all. Yes, and she Oprah. still cared for this this man who was her husband as she redefined family by doing that. And I mean it's wow. just she's total totally radical. And she just put Frederick Douglass on the ballot. Like without he was actually I think he was actually running his own um campaign and she just decided I mean you know she just said oh he's my running mate and he didn't fight it you know that was it was her statement her her um running for president was her 
statement about um, the way she thought the world should be. Mm. And I find her really inspiring. And a lot of... You Talk know, about a pioneer. <laughs> and it's... It's beyond. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't even think there's a word for it. Well, you, you mentioned why she got into spir- spiritualism because of abuse. Why did you get so interested in this and photographing mm. uh, spiritual the spiritualist community? Okay. And, well, um, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I was um, raised Irish Catholic. And Buffalo, New York is located about about an hour drive away from Lilydale, New York, which is the world's largest spiritualist community. And growing up, my older cousins would go to Lilydale for readings, for spiritualist readings. And my Catholic family would... I had an uncle who was a priest who would say... Uh, yes, you can go for the readings, but you just don't believe that more than you believe the church. But mm-hmm. we don't deny anything that the spiritualists believe, which is true. And there's a lot of Catholics who do go for readings. And there's many mediums that I have met who were once nuns or priests. So my cousins would go up for readings, and they have these message services in Lilydale in the summer. Lilydale is like a beautiful little hamlet situated on a lake. Victorian cottages. It's really kind of a magical place. It, it feels like a time warp. They've, they've kind of been able to amazingly keep something about the Victorian era alive in this place. It's a very analog town. Like, you know, you, you really feel like you're time traveling when you're there. And so they have these virgin wood forests and they have a spot in the woods called Inspiration Stump where mediums have been giving messages since 1879. And you go and you sit in a bench. It could be like 200 people sitting in this uh, forest kind of theater. And you don't put your name anywhere. You just sit on a bench. The mediums stand in the front. They pick out people and they give them short messages. And so it's a message service. It's not a full reading. Mm -hmm. So my cousin went to a message service. And the person pointed to her and said, "Um, your grandfather's here and he wants you to know how he really died and end up telling this story that was this bizarre family secret, which is kind of, he ended up choking to death and not really dying of brain cancer. And for whatever reason, he wanted the family to know this. And my cousin goes home and says, I, you know, I went to Lilydale and this medium told me that grandpa choked to death and that's really how he died. And my uncle was like, oh my God, like, I, I cannot believe this because it was true, but the siblings had never told. I mean, my mother didn't even know. This is my father's father. My mother didn't even know that story. And I just remember my whole family being completely freaked out. Um, and I was 16 at the time. And I thought, that's so weird. How could somebody know such a thing? How would this woman know? It was. It happened 30 years before. She didn't know her name. It was just very, very random. So that always stayed with me. And you know, it was around the same time I discovered photography. Then I became, uh, I studied photography at the Rochester Institute of Technology, and then I graduated and became a photojournalist. And then I was doing PR photography, and it was nice to have a job but doing photography, but I really was not so interested in that. I was really interested in doing a, like a long-term creative documentary project. So in my spare time, I thought, why don't I just go to Lilydale and make some pictures? And I thought I'd spend one summer Figuring or making a, like a cute project about this quirky little town and figuring it all out, and here I am, 16 years later, still sussing out 
exactly what I want to say about it. And I'm finally at the point where I'm ready to, and that's why the book is so exciting to me. But it took me, it took me this long to really wrap my brain around spiritualism because it's such a complicated... I mean, the people drew me in because they're... I met very sincere practitioners, people who took their work seriously. They were not making tons of money. It very What I discovered very much goes against the stereotype that you're often presented with, which is like, oh, it's people who are giving cold readings so that they can bill people for money. That is not what I encountered. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. There is an element of that. And obviously the whole fraud thing is runs throughout the whole spiritualist narrative. But what I found was very sincere people who were, do, who were very serious about what they were doing. And then I also discovered what really drew me in is learning about the history and also about the spirit photographs. That became like a huge inspiration to me. I had studied the history of photography thoroughly. I had never come across these images. If you have ever seen, I mean, the, the spiritualist Photographs are among the most absurd, uniquely unsettling, bizarre images I had ever seen. They're different. They, they disturb in a way that's different from any other images I have seen. They're, they're, they're poking at um, some really complicated lines in these pictures. And they're obviously very hokey looking. They look very... To our modern eyes, they look completely ridiculous and absurd. But then when I started to read the stories behind the images and the image making and the thoughts and the processes behind these images, I just became totally enthralled. So it was the history and the photographic record and and the people that drew me in. And then discovering the substance of ectoplasm... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really that's what really brought me down this rabbit hole yeah because that's the well for all you ghostbusters fans you know mm-hmm. but it's the the only like substance that can cross from the spiritual world to the material world correct yes right? i mean I, I think all like everybody i know was first introduced to the term ectoplasm via the movie Ghostbusters. Right. Yeah, that's certainly us. Yeah. I mean, yes. we, that that's our we can we can recite that movie. But <laughs> yes, I mean that's that well, is well Dan Aykroyd, right? Yes, was because Dan Aykroyd is he's actually a fourth generation spiritualist. He's Canadian. His great grandfather was a member of Lilydale Assembly, and he's drawing the term directly from spiritualist practice and. Dan Aykroyd is a spirit. He calls himself a spiritualist. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah. He's, he is, and he's very open about um, his interests in it, and they're very sincere. And it's his drawing, religion. Yeah, and he's drawing from history. So there's this pop awareness of ectoplasm, mm-hmm. but and there, you know, there's a there's some fine artists who play with play with the trope, but ectoplasm. There's an awareness of what it means. I think visually, but we don't usually articulate it, but it does. It means life and death remain connected. It's a symbol that that um, is supposed to represent that the physical and the metaphysical, the spiritual and the material can merge. And that's what it represents and symbolizes. And in these images, ectoplasm, of course, looks like cheesecloth or... <laughs> Um, cotton or wool or tissue or yeah (laughs) yeah it's not it's not uh, although some say it starts it begins like that but in the pictures you know they look like these very 
silly cloth manifestations. But all the spiritualists I met believed in the reality of ectoplasm. They believed in what ectoplasm represented and they believed ectoplasm was possible. So I decided I wanted to find if there were mediums in the world who were actually producing Victorian era ectoplasm like I saw in the pictures. Producing, you mean, you mean what, what, what do you mean producing? Well, I mean... Drawing well, it out? Well, or? yeah, or show, like displaying objective white ectoplasm that you can see with your eyes. What I found, you know, I started to go to these seance situations and people would say, oh, it's an ectoplasm seance. But oh. there would be red light and people in trance, but there would be no ectoplasm appearing. So... Mm -hmm. I started to discover that ectoplasm was a convoluted term. Ectoplasm could mean uh, hypnotic effects. It could mean, oh, I felt the temperature change in the room and that's ectoplasmic energy. Or it could mean the literal physical white streams that you see in the vintage images. And um, it took me 12 years to find a medium who actually was presenting the classic ectoplasm. But I did meet a lot of mediums who were using what they were what they were referred to as ectoplasmic energy but it it was creating other mm -hmm. effects if mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah it, it was it was a rabbit hole <laughs> uh, now would you consider like uh, we were speaking before we turned the microphone mm -hmm. on and i was telling you that yes. upstairs yes i have a floral portal that mm -hmm. i believe to be connected um to another dimension. Right. That when I do put flowers in any vase, um, they they fall. Fall in love. Then overnight they fall. They don't die. Right. They bend. Yes. All of them in the same way. Mm -hmm. They fall perfectly. Yes. I have photographic evidence. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter what yes. flower, what vase I put them in. There's no heating element. Right. Um, and would that be an ectoplasmic... And yeah, experience. I, does it just does it mean proof? I mean, is that what it means to um, some people? Well, I guess a spiritualist would say if you felt it depends on who you ask, and it depends on the spiritualist. But yes, ectoplasm could do something like that. Yes, because ectoplasm is an energy that comes into the physical world from the metaphysical world from the other realm, from the realm of the spirits. And it works on the, on the physical and can make physical changes. Um, Do you think it's, it's because people are constantly, and they don't demand this of other religions so much, but they demand proof. And, you yeah. know, because I think it's because, I, I don't know why yeah. it is, but, but spiritualism started out as a very serious religion, yeah. a very important movement religion whatever you want to classify it as and it it became as time went on hokey and yes. you know not it, taken seriously exactly you know fun something fun to do get your cards read and you know the whole yeah the there whole is Ouija board parker aspect. brothers yeah yeah thing it's funny that you say that because that's the way that i've recently started to think about ectoplasm you know, spiritualism set itself up because it, it was literally saying, we're going to prove this via science. And spiritualists still believe that their methods scientifically prove the metaphysical realm, where 
that evidence is complicated for a lot of people, meaning like the study of mediumship, the, you know, the, the whole proof thing is very convoluted. But nobody, you know, when you go to a Catholic uh, mass and the priest says, I just changed this host into the body of Christ and I just changed this wine into his blood, nobody's analyzing it nobody's yeah, taking it to a lab well they cut all that off with uh they cut all that off at the past with doubting thomas you know you right. don't need to stick your hand in my side to right so they right. they they they're set up to right. do whatever right <laughs> right so it's it's a ritual act it's a it's more about um a mindset and a belief and um ritual space and that's how I think you can also view ectoplasm as this symbolic act symbolizing that we don't end at death. Death is a transition. It's not the end. That um, there is more to life than the material realm. That um, this is something that you can access and work with and make real for yourself. And... That we live in dimensions that you can yes. Do you yes. believe and that? You, like a symbol. Or do you, would you classify yourself as a spiritualist? Or um, I, I, I really hate labeling myself as anything, mm-hmm. but I, I have had really, I've had so many experiences that really span the gamut. Maybe like, you could talk about a few of those. Yeah, I've had, um, you know, incredible readings that were that affected my life in major ways or changed my life. Or, I mean, one example is I went in and I had a reading with my friend and she said, oh, you're going to have a baby on Christmas. And I said to myself, and I think to her, I would never have a baby on Christmas. That is the worst birthday you could ever give a child. (laughs) And, like, that's not going to happen. Two years later, I gave birth on Christmas Eve. And it was not planned. And, um, you know, just that that's one tidbit. I've also had, like very absurd experiences that are just so silly and laughable, like being serenaded um, with like a song and dance message by a student medium, you know, that came out of nowhere full on with jazz hands and <laughs> like, <laughs> a, like, a, like a, like speaking in tongues kind of well, thing, no, like an aesthetic. It was like, I, I was in a, a development circle where it's like you sit in a circle and they run you through these exercises, which are actually very interesting. Was this part of the college that you attended? Um, oh yes, I've been to a psychic college too, or a spiritualist college. That that I've I've done that there too. At Lilydale, they do teach spiritualism too. But yes, I was also there's a place called Arthur Finley College in England where you can take courses as a spiritualist. So I've taken a, a much a bunch of courses and I've actually had the experience of giving somebody, you know, running through the exercises and giving somebody a message that actually made eerily a lot of sense to them. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's, it's, you know, and I began thinking when I started, basically, I was like, I don't really understand. When am I going to (laughs) die? And how? Spiritualists would say that you, that they would never tell you that they would never. I know. I asked. Yeah, yeah, we last you brought a few, um, yeah, yeah, few mediums from Lilydale, and they would, yeah, they would, they, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't tell us. They only work with the 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 positive and yeah. the, the the light, but um, no, but it's very interesting. You know, when I began, I thought, 
oh, I don't understand how you could be a sane person and talk with dead people. But I was very curious because I was meeting very sane, wonderful, funny, awesome, amazing, sweet people. And they were telling me they were talking to spirits of dead people. And I just couldn't, I couldn't process it. I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And, but as I be, I just did this immersive thing and I was willing to throw caution to the wind and be really silly and absurd. What felt totally silly and absurd to me was to, you know, sit in these circles and go through the motions and actually try. And I, I did have profound experiences by uh, by doing it, and you know, and it ties into the creative process too. I mean that, and you know, I, I've heard people describe the whole Jungian technique of active imagination, and that that is very similar to a lot of what you get taught in the development circle. But yeah, so I was sitting in this development circle, and you know, we go one by one oh, do you have a message for somebody? And people would give these very, oh, I think your grandmother's here and she wants to say she loves you. Okay, and then they would get to the next person. Oh, you know, I see a spirit of a woman by you and she's wearing a red dress. You know, it would be, you know, very simple. So they get to the guy next to me and they say, do you have a message for anybody? He's like, yes. He gets out of his chair and he goes to the ground, hands on the floor, and pops up and starts singing this this serenade photographer girl <laughs> to me because I had my camera about how there were soldiers behind me and they were with me and it's like this whole song and dance and then he like um about all the spirits that were working I with me you just sitting there <laughs> and I was I was it was so like I was actually when it happened, I was digging my fingernails into my legs so I wouldn't laugh because it, it was so sincere, but it was so absurd, over the top, like ridiculously mm -hmm. funny. I mean, it was like a waiting for Guffman style yeah. moment. And then, you know, he just crumbled into the to the, oh. the chair and said, okay, I'm done. That's my message. And <laughs> I just said, thank you. I mean, you know, so I've had those kind of experiences. I, I've I've seen messages that I, I think are total bullshit and that the people who are receiving them are, feel are total bullshit. And then I've seen messages where I think it's totally crap. And then I talk to the person, they're like, no, that was exactly right for me. Mm -hmm. And what I began to realize is that all of this stuff, like ritual, spiritualism, seeing readings, it's... You're only, when you're observing it, you're only seeing half because the other half is its interior, like mm -hmm. what is happening. It's the it's, person receiving and how yes, they're taking it. Yes, in. it's the over, overlap of subjective and objective. It's the way the person receiving uh, assigns meaning. Whether you believe it's metaphysical or not, like, doesn't really matter because. But that's the whole idea right behind the photography and the. Yeah. Some people manipulate the process of developing right. um, photographs right. to look like there's something there. Right, um, yeah, yeah. And so then with the photography, I just... The, the whole crossover between spiritualism and photography is truly fascinating. I mean, where the Fox sisters did the very first public seance, so it's the first time women are on stage giving messages from spirits... Um, 1849 at Corinthian Hall in Rochester. Literally, if you look at a map, it's one half mile down the same street from where Kodak built its headquarters 40 years later. So 
And that's what brought photography to the masses. So spiritualism was brought to the masses and photography was brought to the masses literally. Within a mile. Yes. At the same the, time. Yes, yes. And then photography was brought into spiritualist seance rooms with the idea that it could illuminate or document or show us spirits. Now, you know, this is at a time, you know, eventually 1890s x-rays. This idea was out there that photography could show us other realms. But then the x-ray was discovered, and then it was like, wow, you just revealed the body's interior through this process, this hidden interior. What other hidden realms could be shown? And so they started dialoguing and used in all kinds of ways. And a lot of this is written out of the history, but photography was probed and prodded and used and misused and in every way imaginable to try and prove that you know thoughts are real that you can see dreams that spirits are there and um through this dialoguing this incredible archive came about but no scientific evidence because we now understand that photography is a trickster medium it it is true and false at the same time it's it is the thing and it is not it um it's representation it's light and time and space being compressed into two dimensions. I mean, I look back on some of my old photographs that I've taken or that on mm-hmm. our family albums and you see a light in the corner and you're like, oh, that's grandpa looking over yeah. my baby or, and the baby's looking at the light and, right. you know. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like the whole photography thing, if you think about it, like you can time travel with photography. You can, mm-hmm. it's also, this, you know, the whole concept of your reflection is somehow attached to your soul. I mean, you know, you hear the the idea that photography can steal the soul. Right. That that comes That's what from... I use when I don't want my picture taken. I use that, <laughs> <laughs> that excuse. But that that comes It's not that from... I don't have eyeliner yeah. on. It's like yeah. you're, you're robbing me of my soul. That's a good one. I'll have yeah. to use that because I famously <laughs> yeah. hate pictures of myself. So, um, but it comes from the idea that the reflection is your soul. I mean, that's an ancient thing, like looking in water, like seeing in the mirror. Um, you know, that's why we cover mirrors, because, I mean, now the line is, I think, oh, because of vanity. That's why it, it's like, no, it really started because they didn't want the soul of the, the person to get trapped in the mirror. And so if what she's talking about if someone passes away. Yes, yeah. I think, yeah. It, is, is it still being done today? It is in some religions, correct? I, I the, think... They um, cover the mirror. Shiva. I think yeah. it's Shiva, right, they right, cover right. the mirror. But now they say it's to prevent vanity, but that's not really the reason the practice started. It's because their loved ones might get trapped in that mirror. Yes, yes. Um, and so the, refl- the whole idea that photographs are a frozen reflection you know and I mean you know when you have a picture of somebody who's passed the meaning you know photography starts out as one thing and then it becomes something else and so it's photography is already deeply tied to death and mortality and time and the passage of time this endless you know thing you can't stop photography stops it it's so, I was starting to see all these connections between spiritualist thought and what photography actually does. And then, if you really think about it, you know, mediums sit under a red light to have this other state develop. And, you know, dark rooms, chemical dark rooms, use the red light. That's where the images materialize under this red light. 
And, you know, the ectoplasm is supposed to be light sensitive and it's soft and sticky and wet. And so are photographic surfaces, you know? And then the camera is like this dark chamber and so is a seance room and so is a womb. Like for these dark spaces for something to be captured or to grow or... So I just started to see all these connections, like geographical, historical, metaphysical mm -hmm. connections between photography and spiritualism. And, and I wanted to play with that as much as possible. So I started experimenting with my own photographs. And how I began doing that is, well, I started to have some happy accidents with my camera. Like the first Were one... They? Were they accidents? Yeah, yeah. That's the question. Yes. It depends on the viewer. Yes. That that is my answer I would to say that. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. But so I, my first summer in Lilydale, I was photographing at the Spiritualist Museum in Lilydale, and that's actually where the first place where I discovered spirit photography. And I took a photograph of this woman, and she's in the doorway, and there's a, this huge purple orb on her resting on her shoulder. And I was shooting film at the time, and I got the same image on the, with the same woman in the same spot on her body, but a different roll of film, different frame. Was it the same place? It's in the same yeah. museum. Okay. One was inside, one was outside. Oh, it's, but it was not in the same exact pose and location. And no, location. no, no. It was oh, interesting. Two, two different shots. Mm -hmm. So, and I was shooting film at the time, and I had never gotten anything like that before. And I printed these pictures, and I, I just thought, oh, I brought them to her. I said, oh, these are really weird. I thought you might be interested in them. And she held them in her hand and looked really intensely and said, oh, yeah, that's Bob. And she was talking about her deceased husband. So she was saying, oh, that was Bob appearing in the photos. And I had never thought of assigning meaning to a photographic anomaly before. Like that had never, you know, I went to photo school where they're like, try, they teach you to keep that stuff out of the frame. You don't, you, yeah. you don't want that. That's not professional. You want total control over the process. You want to envision what you are going to render and, and do it. And, um, so that stayed with me. And then I had a couple other ones where, you know, I was in a seance room and I'm trying to make a really straightforward picture of a woman and everyone's saying, oh, I see, I see a face of a woman who looks exactly like you, but it's not you and it's floating right near you. And everyone's like, yes, I see that. I do not see this face. I took a picture. It was a longer exposure because it's in low red, low red light. And in the frame, there's this perfect face looks like it's pulled off floating peacefully beside her. And I just thought, wow, that's such like a weird Is coincidence. Is that picture in your book? Yes, oh, yes. Wow. And so I thought, maybe I should play with this. Maybe I should just throw caution to the wind and be really unprofessional and start, you know, just mm -hmm. inviting anomaly, inviting chance, um, playing with it. And that, so then I started to have a lot of synchronicities with with the photographic process to the invisible experience that was happening because at first when I first started photographing spiritualism I I left the project for a few years because I, I thought this is not something that you can really photograph it's too interior I, this is impossible how do you talk about the invisible with the camera you know when you're you're presented with this reality where there's a psychological thing that's very real happening, but you can't see it with your eyes. How do you touch that with pictures? And so I started to go to the process as the spirit photographers did. Mm -hmm. 
but um but you wouldn't classify yourself as a spirit no, photographer. No, no, but I mean, and they were doing. Would you? No, no, and a lot of people call me a spirit photographer. No, I, 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 I see it. I see the project as like, really part ethnography, part journalistic, and part my own art project. So it's like mm-hmm. kind of blurring all of these boundaries. But you know, to some of the spiritualists, they'll say, "Oh, well, I don't understand why you're doing that if you're not trying to create proof." You know, that's mm-hmm. just a blurry picture. And then, you know, all the like other people would say, you know, obviously that's just blur. I don't even understand why you're doing this. Uh, yeah. But for me, it's very meaningful to kind of try to delve into like overlay the process onto these invisible, the, the photographic process onto these invisible processes. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't know, it's, it hard makes to, sense. it's hard to talk no, about you, it without you the explain, pictures. No, you explain that very good, very well Perfectly. with the, you know, the x-ray and that search for proof. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. so, yeah, I, I, I really, I'm very excited to, to see your book. Thanks. I mean, I know it's going to be incredible. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, there's, um, I've been working a lot with these physical mediums so those are mediums who are bringing back the victorian era processes i mean today very the spiritualism that is alive and well and really out there is much like what you see in the long island medium you know (laughs) white rooms you know very just one-on-one conversations with candles and it's all clairvoyant mediumship it's all loving messages very open Mm -hmm. very peaceful but there are mediums who do go into dark rooms still and to give messages or to create trance states or to try to manipulate the physical what do you, world. How do you feel about Long Island Medium? Um, I actually think she's, from what I can tell, I she seems to me to be a very sincere practitioner. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she considers herself spiritualist. I know she's Catholic. Uh, I've never, and she calls herself a medium, but mm-hmm. um, one time I was up one thing I will say is I, I went to, there was a meeting of all the churches, the spiritualist churches in Long Island, and um, they all got together for a fundraiser, and I went, and everybody from all the churches were just speaking very, um, saying very lovely things about her, that she supported the community, mm-hmm. and she had been a member, you know, she was a sincere practitioner, she did the work, and, mm-hmm. you know, developed as a medium, and, and did all the, you know, early platform work and message work with the churches, you know, before she became what she is now. Mm-hmm. But as far as I can tell, she's seen, I mean, I know editing and yeah, all, all of that. I mean, yeah, but I it does take a lot of courage for her to go out there and yeah, um, yeah. put it all on the line and yeah, so have I, to prove herself over and over and over again. I yeah. mean, people, when you walk, when you're her and you walk into a room, they're like, okay, show me, yeah. show me what you got. Right. You the know? level of skepticism yeah, is like, make me charts. a believer. And that's a lot of, a lot well, of pressure. That's, when, it's funny that you say that because there's the one moment where I think things really changed for me or where I became really interested in, in what was going on with mediums was I was observing readings with a woman She's a fifth-generation spiritualist in Lilydale, and her name is Gretchen Clark. And she would let me sit in on her readings, which was very nice of her to do. She was the first medium who welcomed me. And I'm watching. I brought I brought people I knew for this reading, and it was a couple, and they're sitting there, and she's saying, "Oh, you know, there's a horse. Your mother had a horse, 
and it kicked her when she was young. And the guy's like, no, my mother never had a horse. And you have a brother that you don't know about? No, I don't have a brother. Like all this stuff, there's, there's you know, your grandmother collected this, these teacups. No, no, no. They just sat there the whole time just looking at her like she was crazy. And just sat back and she closed her eyes and paused for a minute and said, no, that's what they have to tell you. So, and she had absolutely no qualms with them leaving, thinking she was totally crazy uh -huh. and that she just completely made up stuff. She didn't care. And they go home and sure enough, they call the mother and it turns out everything she told her was true. Yes, I had a horse and he did kick me. I almost died. Like, yeah. and uh, yes, you do uh, technically have a brother because of the, yeah. your father's I, I forget. The, I I don't remember the details, but it it was it was major. There was like five things, and they were so profound. And this this couple was just like, oh my god! And it it my, the girl just recently posted on my Facebook like your that message service changed or that reading changed our lives. It was so it it was like a major moment for us. And they never called the medium to tell her. So she, you know, she just and so her word. And so I felt compelled to tell Gretchen. You know, Gretchen, I brought those friends, and you told them all this stuff, and they told you you were crazy, and but they found out it was all true, and she was just like, oh, okay, like it yeah, didn't matter she, to her. She knows. Yeah, she knew. It, was it, true, right? it it didn't matter to her because she was she was doing a practice mm -hmm. that she believed in, that she felt was real. And nobody else needed to confirm it. Validate for her. her. Validate her. So I think probably if you're somebody like the Long Island Medium, you would have to be operating in that kind mm -hmm. of a mindset. Right. And you know, if you do look at not, I mean, a lot of people do believe in mediumship. Mm -hmm. I think um, you know, in academic or scientific or you know, certain segments of the population, mm -hmm. they absolutely do not. But if you look at like wide world view, mm -hmm. many people, this, this practice is ancient. It's in every culture known to man throughout history. And then, it, you know, it pops back into, you know, Western culture thinks, it, you know, complete rationality and scientific method and we're moving forward with science and then spiritualism pops up and we have our own version of this. This stuff does not go away. Mm -hmm. So you've, you've been at this for 16 years in this community, in and out of this community. Yeah, and traveling. And so and, you must yeah. have some really amazing stories that you've heard from other people, whether you've witnessed yeah. them yourself or... Yeah, and, and it's funny with the stories, sometimes it's hard to... The, the book is going to have interviews, like for example, that medium that I was just talking about, I'm going to have an interview with her and have her put it, this into her own words. And... Um, but yeah, I'm gonna have a lot of the, st mm -hmm. the stories in there, and um, some of my some of the more profound and compelling ones. But yeah, I know I've seen a lot, so, and some when you tell them they're not as profound as when it, when it happened. So it is, you know, I try to I'm trying to pick and choose the ones that I put in. Mm -hmm. But um, can you share one or two? Or? Sure, I'm um, sure. So one of the well, one of the most um, I guess dramatic images I've made that will be in the book is of a medium. This is a story that goes with a picture, so I'll, I'll tell this one. Um, there's a medium who I met named Gordon Garforth. He lives in England, and he, I met him. He's super just a wonderful person. Him and his wife, they're very unassuming, you know, just look like regular people. I meet him, and he's like, oh, I'm a physical medium, and I can change the shape of my hands using ectoplasm. And so I say... Okay. Well, I don't really, you know, I'm very doubtful that this yeah. is going to happen, but he invites me to photograph him. 
in the sand. So uh, I go and I'm not expecting to see anything. Because what I found is like a lot of mediums, they'll create a sensory deprivation type seance room and everybody has a, a subjective experience. Not a mm -hmm. lot of people are having the same experience. So, so I go and I set up my camera. I'm about six feet away from him. It's pretty bright red light. He goes into a trance state where he starts speaking as a spirit. And, and that's another thing I want to mention. Like even if you're not interested in spiritualism, these, these physical mediums, are fascinating as outsider performance artists. I mean, what they mm. do is these very bizarre theater pieces using their body and their voice and light and music, and it's mm -hmm. it's really an incredible thing in and of itself, just like as a just observing. But so I'm sitting there, and he goes into his trance, and then about 20 minutes in, the wife says, the wife Gaynor says, "Okay, the spirits are going to work with Gordon's hands." So with that, he lifts his hand and he just starts slowly moving it across in front of his body and there's a light right in front of him and he just moves it. And the next thing I know, to my eyes, it just looked like his hand just skipped into a gigantic form. Like it was the most shocking. Like a, bl like a blip? Like a blip. Like, okay. like a blip. And I'm just being honest, like yeah. I, I'm... That's what happened when what I saw. Mm -hmm. It was the most magical, fantastical thing, shocking thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, and I just I screamed, which is like very impolite to do in a seance, and you're really not supposed to do it. But I couldn't help it. Like I was just ah, <laughs> it was so shocking. It just it was a normal hand, and then all of a sudden just skipped gigantic, and so then everybody else started screaming. And I couldn't tell if they were screaming because I screamed or they were screaming because they saw the hand too. Mm -hmm. And so then I, I was thinking like, okay, I hypnotically rendered that gigantic hand in my mind's eye and I'm going to go and look at the pictures on the card on the digital camera and there's going to be a small hand and, you know, that's what happened because I was, you know, they told me there was going to be a big hand and then there was low light. So right. I just like, that's what happened. So then I looked at my camera and there is this gigantic hand. And on the in the image, it looks different than it did with my eyes. It mm -hmm. actually looks like a big glove mm -hmm. in the picture. And so then I had that to grapple with and I said, okay, maybe I hypnotically rendered it and then the film shutter with the the way the shutter was was long enough to make it like look like a gigantic hand, but it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Or it was an elegant magic trick that I have no, I mean, he had short sleeves. It was not a prosthesis. You know, I don't know. I mean, David Copperfield does like amazing things too. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like a magic trick. It just seemed to happen right in front of my eyes. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe the spirits, you know, came and right. gave him a big so hand. So you fall in the middle of that. Like you're, you're I, trying to dispel it. I love that all of those interpretations are there within the image and yeah. it's up to the viewer to grapple with it or uh -huh. decide what they right. think but for me I if I'm being honest to me it was it was the craziest most magical experience I've ever happened and I I went to his seances since and um I've seen the same effect mm. but never like that first time I I, oh. I don't know I mean 
So, so maybe this is why it's taken you 16 years and maybe another 16 years because yeah, I, you really yeah. don't know. That's, that's probably yeah. why your photographs are so compelling. Right. And I, but I kind of came to the conclusion that none of us are ever going to know. I know. I mean, this maybe, is, this is maybe, what I love in art though. This yeah. is why I love, you know, reading books that the author is trying to figure it out along with you yes, kind of the, yes. photographs and your, because, your, and your photographs really, Thanks. really relay that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stunning. trying to delve headfirst in the mystery. Like I always say, you know, one of my famous, or uh, my favorite painters is Francis Bacon. And he says, it's the job too. of the artist to deepen the mystery. Like, right. As, as an artist, that is your mm-hmm. job. You know, I'm not a parapsychologist. I'm not, I'm not trying to measure these, these people and decide, you know, how much, if the hand got bigger or not. Like, yeah. I'm not even interested in that. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in, like, having the type of experience I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and it also, like, it's important, too, that not, not to, I'm not trying to, I, I want to amplify that spiritualism does have roots in entertainment and and stage magic, like the first, the medium's cabinet, where they, what, which is the construction that mediums use in order to produce ectoplasm. You know, they say it condenses energy. The first time spirit spirit cabinets are seen was with these two brothers from Buffalo in the 1850s, named the Davenport brothers, and they would, they wouldn't say if they were magicians or mediums. They would, mm-hmm. they would say that they were both. They were using the cabinet as for this magic show, and they're. They're important to the history of magic, and they're important to the history of spiritualism, and it ties to get ties that together. Um, it's just fascinating how, yeah, you know, it's all up to the individual, and and maybe yeah. that's why it's so widespread. I mean, we came from a Catholic upbringing mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. a really strict Catholic upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and but our my, our mother and our aunts they'd sneak away and go get their cards read, and yes. you know, my grandmother'd be like, "That's the devil," and you know. Yeah. All our posters of those, you know, 80s rock stars and, you know, she would say they were the devil. Oh, right, right. So, but, but yet our, 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 my, our mother was raised, you know, very strict Catholic, but she was, she was finding something in spiritualism mm-hmm. that she needed to. She was right. finding what she needed out of, get, getting what right. she needed out of it. Right. And so I think, just, yeah, yeah, it's, a, that's the fascinating part about it. Yeah. It's like a personal yeah, it's a personal, it's personal interaction and experience. And yeah, Catholicism doesn't not believe anything that the spiritualists believe. It's actually, uh, you know, I've had people say, oh, spiritualism is devil worship. It's like, no. Well, it's anything that's not yeah. Catholicism. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. That's not right. understood right. or, or, yeah. or mm-hmm. known. And that, that's another reason I want to do a lot of interviews and text with my images is because a lot of the seance pictures, they're dark. They're, they're red and black. They're scary. They look like Halloween images. Um, they're intense. And, you know, these transforming bodies and, like, mm-hmm. I, some of them are, they have a spooky quality, but the experience is not that. It's it's very, actually very peaceful. And spiritualists, basically all of their endeavors, talking to spirits or trying to show ectoplasm, is all related to healing. That's the main tenet. Like, that's what messages are for that's what readings are for that's what seances are for for comfort like any religion really it's it's healing yeah that's that's the primary so um we're gonna get to your um strange throwbacks okay uh, right now but i i I don't want to forget i want you to talk a little bit about your obsession with michael jackson Oh, I have to come back and do like a whole, please let me come back and do 
you know, to look at you, and it's just hilarious. It that doesn't you make any sense. Yeah, that you have this obsession with Michael Jackson. It's, um. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Michael Jackson's a rabbit hole too. Yeah. <laughs> It's another much like spiritualism. Yes. Yes. Exactly. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot to unpack there. That's a so, loaded so. loaded sentence. So you're just like you're fascinated by Michael Jackson. Um actually how I got involved with the Michael Jackson project. And what project is that? Well, it's right now it just exists as a talk, like an illustrated presentation. I've been deciding what to do with it, but it does relate to my spiritualism work is because I started meeting all these mediums who, you know, in their seance rooms, they were channeling Michael Jackson. Like, uh, that's another, it's another wow. element of the book is a lot of modern spiritualists say, all, all throughout time through seances, celebrities would appear in the seance room, you know, and like right now, which would draw is, people to that seance yeah, room. Who's right? the hot celebrity right now? <laughs> the hot celebrities in the seance room are Freddie Mercury. Mm. Louis Armstrong oh. and Michael Jackson. Okay. I mean, there's some others like, you know, Mark Twain and Quentin Crisp, you know, for the English. Quentin, what? Yeah, oh, Quentin Crisp, like, made the round. You know, yeah. and then, like, celebrity or spirit guides from past mediums. That's such an and, esoteric. Yeah, and there, there are mediums who, who would say, well, Louis Armstrong only comes to my seances. He doesn't really go to that guy's yeah, seances. If you want to see only, him, you come yeah, to if me. If you want to see Louis yeah. Armstrong, you have to come to me. And then, you know, so there's all this like fighting. But anyway, I started meeting. It's like a gang. They're yeah, gangs. yeah. So there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of also, too, there's a whole other level of I lay like what I like to phrase is paradrama, where, you know, this turf That's wars sweet. and. You know, I have Wibby Armstrong. Yes, yes. Yeah. But, and, um, but I started noticing a lot of people were channeling Michael Jackson. Even the Long Island Medium in her book, she talks about talking to the spirit of Michael Jackson. I wow. mean, do you so, think it's because he's like the biggest celebrity of all time, like the king of pop? Well, so the re my my theory, which is the crux of the talk, is that you know why is Michael Jackson so important and. Mm -hmm. Or why did he? Why was he able to communicate across every boundary? Like his audience was the entire world. Like right. didn't matter age, race, mm -hmm. like man, woman, child, adult. You know, and I came to the realization that oh, okay, maybe it's because Michael Jackson is the ultimate liminal figure. He's black, white. He's child, adult. He's male, female. He's uh, old, young, and old. Mm -hmm. You know, like well, I said, child, adult. Um, mm -hmm. He blurs the animal, man, his relationships with animals oh, yeah. throughout his life. It, bubbles. That, bubbles is, yes, Bubbles is the, the ultimate. Yeah. But he had crazy um, interactions with animals his entire life. I mean, he was, I think when he was like, by the time he was five, he had, was breeding rats under his bed. He had 30 rats. And his first song was a, like a love song to a rat named yeah, Ben. Yeah, Ben. Um, but... And, but, and then there's the whole Active awake, positive. asleep state. So he's blurring all these binaries. And, the, uh, you know, he got his work through dreams. And, like, when he died, he went. He was the only person we know who went 60 days without REM sleep. He was literally putting himself into a coma uh -huh. at, at night. Like, he wasn't really sleeping. He was going into a coma. Like, so there's, the, there's that binary. And then the whole life-death thing was all these mediums talking about him and then I'm start looking into it and it's like 
you know, then he had the posthumous album, and you have Timberland saying in Billboard magazine that the voice, disembodied voice of Michael Jackson came to him in the, in the room and told him what to do, and all these, like, there's all these Michael Jackson ghost experiences, and I start digging into his life and, like, his own metaphysical experiences, and, and also, like, his symbolic, like, how he ties into you know, Japanese kabuki and also the archetype <laughs> of the shaman. Yeah. And and have you ever seen the um, Egyptian statue that's in the Field Museum? It's like a 3,000-year-old statue and it looks like mm-hmm. a post-plastic yes. surgery Michael Jackson. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's just all this bizarre material. And he did have a saint-like quality where people thought he was, you know, if they right. touched him... You know, they... Right, and his mysterious... With any celebrity, but him, mostly. Oh, yeah, I mean, John Landis said being with Michael Jackson was like being with Jesus Christ. Yeah, I I was on the set of that... of that video shoot. Of the... With John Landis. Oh, wow. And I jumped out of a moving car... At, in Pittsburgh, I was we driving the car. Wow! Yes. <laughs> to, to meet John Landis. So um, wow, wow. So talk about you know healing power and <laughs> wow, yeah, wow. I wasn't hurt. I jumped no. out of a oh, moving car. Of course, I was yes. very. Drunk. It was a miracle. <laughs> oh my god! A miracle was. Performed. It wasn't the alcohol. I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah, but so that's. I mean, in a nutshell, and then you know, just going in his creative process and his dream state and how he wrote all of his songs and the whole I tie the whole thing together with this the mythical story of the song Billie Jean mm-hmm. where when he wrote the song he was driving in a a Rolls Royce and he would say that the music would download into his head like it I would believe come complete that. in a sleep state or in a relaxed state so he was driving in the Rolls Royce in LA gets the song Billie Jean and the car starts on fire this is according to Moonwalker. So, I mean, mm-hmm. also you have to take everything Michael Jackson says with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But um, people have to pull him over say, you're on fire. So then he, he states, and other people state too, the moment when he became Michael Jackson, you know, he was a pop star. He was famous. But the moment he transformed into a superstar was when he did... A performance of Billie Jean for the 30th anniversary of the Grammys. Yes. And he did the moonwalk for the first time. And the white glove. I mean, he had been wearing one white white glove for a long time, but it was the first time people took notice. And he said when he walked off stage, everything was changed. You know, his whole life changed through the song. And he he talks about, like... I remember that moment. Doing the performance. Like, before... According to Moonwalker, he said, I didn't know what I was going to do, and I just let the song talk to me and tell me what to do. And he did the moonwalk, mm-hmm. and so then he becomes a superstar. And then he's in this stratosphere of superstardom. I think for it's only like eight, eight months. And then the Pepsi commercial. Yeah. He's performing Billie Jean. Fire again. Yeah. He sets on fire, doesn't know that he's on fire. Right. And people have to tell him he's on fire. Oh. And that, according to him and everybody who analyzes his life, that was the moment of the downfall because that's when the surgery started and the Mm painkillers. And before that, he wasn't into drugs at all or, you know, I mean, he had like a very major... Yeah, I mean, we... Major injuries. So there's that whole, like, there's this mythical quality to his life. Spontaneous combustion. And his truly um, 
Yeah, I mean, if you think about yeah. that, it's just like in mythical terms, or like right. you know, it's the dif- kicked off with spontaneous combustion. Yeah, and yes, ended with it. yes, mm-hmm. yeah. it's just really bizarre to think about the symbolism. Yeah. So, and there's so much oh, symbolism Shannon. within Michael Jackson. We need, we need you to come back and. <sighs> I know the Michael Jacksons <laughs> and the images of him and the stories of him with the animals and the also his. He has one of the most truly mysterious sexualities. Like, you can read accounts, Brooke Shields says he, he is asexual. Lisa Marie, Lisa Marie Presley, he is absolutely a hetero man. There's other women who have written books, he's absolutely hetero man. There are people who say they had gay relationships with him. There are people who say he's a pedophile. Yeah. There are, are children who swear, like Corey Feldman, says, I, you know, I grew up in Hollywood and I know what a pedophile is and Michael Jackson isn't one. Mm-hmm. He was a screwed up person, but he was not well, a... like Flo yeah. Anthony, um, the gossip columnist, when we handled Prince doing publicity, she was friends with Michael Jackson and she said he is he was like a womanizer. Yeah. I believe, I, I if I remember correctly. And if you delve in and, like, <laughs> if you really dive in deep, it's such convoluted, like, like yeah. who knows? Maybe he was right. all those things. Right. And, like, the whole Lisa Marie thing... You know, you see the pictures and it's like, that could not be real, right? Right. But, you know, I'm, I'm tackling Michael Jackson with an open mind here. So yeah. I, I go... Just like you do spiritualism. Yes. And I find this interview with Lisa Marie and Oprah. And Oprah says, you know, Lisa Marie, like, she kind of politely says, was it a real marriage in the true sense of the word? Yeah. You know, kind of... Yeah. And she said, Absolutely it was. She said, being around Michael Jackson made me higher than any drug I ever took. Mm-hmm. The only person I've ever met like that other, other in the entire world was my father. Yeah. And then with that, just that snippet, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it is believable. So, who knows? And that's confessing to Oprah. I mean, <laughs> yes. You don't. You yes. do not. Which lie. is yes. uh, probably yes. another, uh, yes. another one that messy. might be visiting Lily Dale, Oprah, when she goes. I'm sure yeah. she'll be one of oh, the celebrities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Oprah Yeah, because she be. has that quality that yes. she, she, transcends. She, she should be in the seance yeah, room. Yeah. <laughs> Someone should call dibs now. <laughs> Um, so your throwbacks. We're gonna end with your okay. with your yes. throwbacks. Yes. You have three. Yes. So the well, first we talked about Victoria Woodhull a yes. little bit. Um, so the next one is Margaret Julia Margaret Cameron. Yeah. Um, she's a photographer, Victorian era photographer, and why I she's my strange lady throwback is because she would try. You know, she was an amateur photographer she was a wealthy woman so she had the luxury of being able to have a view camera and do her own pictures but what at a time when most people were trying to capture objective reality she was saying no photography is a metaphysical process and she was trying to photograph prayer and make metaphors for you know take her nieces and and envision them as angels and there's something and the pictures are really messy and out of focus in points. And, and this was, what year was this? Um, I think context. probably 1850s. Okay. I'd have to look mm-hmm. up. So probably around the same time as spiritualism. I mean, photography mm-hmm. came about in 1839. So I would imagine it had to be within you know 20 years of that, maybe. And so her whole metaphysical approach to photography I always found really beautiful and compelling. So that's why she's on my list. And then my other... And Virginia Woolf. Yes, she was. Yeah, she was her. um, She was related to her. Yeah, Yeah, and she did a book. One of her nieces. One of her nieces that you were talking about, who she would photograph, was Virginia Woolf's mother. Right. Right. Okay. And so Virginia Woolf edited 
one of a book of, of her work. Yeah. Yes. And the images are just so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, they're just so compelling. But I just love this idea that she was using objective reality to talk about the metaphysical and was and she would write on the back like from life to remind people that like this this wasn't actually you know like she created something metaphysical but remember it was from life oh and um and then my other lady is Deanne Arbus yeah she's my patron saint of <laughs> photography what what can i say yeah. queen of the strange extraordinary and such a visionary and... And photograph a, the fringes of yes, society, and, which is what you do, really, yes. with spiritualism. And one of my favorite things about her is that her quotes about photography are so perfect and so articulate and so get at the strangeness and the weirdness and the mystery of photography and the way she talks about it. And she, I just love everything about her art and um, what she did and... Um, now she's really beloved, but, mm-hmm. um, when she died, she wasn't, yeah. you know, people, she was very, she was pushing a lot of boundaries and she was very brave to be putting out the work that she did. Very brave. Uh, my favorite, I mean, it's a lot of people's favorite pieces, but are the two girls in the inflatable swimming pool, the two white trash <laughs> girl, trailer trash yeah. girls smoking cigarettes yeah. because... It reminds me of, you know, us. <laughs> we were we grew up in a trailer, you know, in that yeah, inflatable yeah. pool. It just yes. brings back, you know, it, it just it, mm-hmm. it's just so powerful for me to look at. But anyway, great throwbacks. It Thank was you. fantastic having you. Thank you please for having me. Please check out Shannon's book. And please um, give your $40. Get your name in this book. You Give more if you can. Yeah, if you can. It will be worth it. Um, we're going to have all the information up on the website along with her throwbacks and her Instagram where people can follow you. Yeah, it's um, Seance Book. Seance Book. Please follow her. And <laughs> any other places people can find you? Um, my website, which has... Uh, extended excerpt of the book and some of my other work is shannontaggart.com. Please check her out and we hope that you come back and visit us soon. Thank Thanks, you. Shannon. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks.